Hey everyone, this is Tara Lynn, and I am so excited about this episode. This is going to be part two in our three-part series with Robin Davis about the internal voices in our lives. So if you haven't listened to part one, which was episode 169, the internal voices that sabotage our lives with Robin Davis, go ahead and listen to that one first. In that one, Robin sets up the concept of internal saboteurs, the voices that kind of come in and just do not, they hurt us and they don't allow us to live the lives we want to live. And then she also talks about the big main king of all the saboteur voices, which is the judge. Then in this episode, which is episode 171, part two, she will talk about the other nine saboteurs. So we just jump right into the conversation and discuss all other nine saboteurs and their voices. And Robin explains to us how to identify them and see them clearly in our lives so they don't rule over us, which is really fantastic. I found it so helpful. And then the third part will air next week, and that will be episode 172. And in that one, we'll talk about the antidote to these saboteur voices, and it'll be about the sage powers that we have that helps us rule our own lives instead of being at the mercy of these saboteurs. So I loved this conversation so much, and all three episodes, oh my goodness, I'm just totally loving them and it's been so helpful for me in my own life so I hope you love them and again the three parts are episode 169 171 and 172 okay thanks guys welcome to find the magic the podcast that will help you honor yourself your kids and your partner we'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. So Um, we all have the judge. We all have the judge. And the rest of these are just accomplices that I'm assuming we have tendencies towards. Yes. We we have our favorites. Yes, we have our favorites. And, um... You come down with them. You're kind of wired. Like if you've had children, you see you have, they have different wirings and mm-hmm. I'll, and I'll kind oh, of yeah. go over these just by name because you'll recognize them and then we'll go over details. But yeah, we come down with just our tendency toward these strengths mm-hmm. and we take these strengths and we overuse and abuse them and mm-hmm. they become our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Right? So every saboteur that I mention here is a strength that you have. Hmm. Mm-hmm. that has now been turned into a weakness yes. in that moment. Yes. Strengths in excess. I've heard that term before, and that's what you're saying, right? Yes. That they just, we take them and they go too far. Yeah. And they, be, they become issues for us. Yeah. So okay. the judge was appropriate at one time, mm-hmm. um, but it's not going to be if we use it. And I also want to mention with the judge, I mentioned empathize, but I also know that people are like, hold up. I have to discern between things. Right, I have to judge things in order to know what friends to have, mm-hmm. what place to go if the situation is in alignment with what I want. Mm-hmm. And I love to call that blameless discernment. Ooh, yes. yes. I like that. Don't you love that? Mm-hmm. There's no blame. The judge wants to blame you or me or the situation. So there we can counterbalance the blame with blameless. 
Everyone here is doing the best they know how. Everyone has is innocent in that maybe they're just reacting. Maybe they don't. We only know what we know, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so we're blameless. And can we use the blameless and make a discernment from our positive brain? It doesn't mean we overlay toxicity mm-hmm. and don't and like hide from it. Mm-hmm. We just actually say, oh, okay, I have, I use my discernment, my experience, and I can make a good decision mm-hmm. without having to blame everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Cause yeah, I've heard people say that all the time too. Well, you do need, it is important to keep yourself safe or to get the results you want, right? I'm not going to go certain places. You want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Blameless discernment. That's yeah. what we're utilizing when we do it well. Yes. Yes. That I is that. the sage gift and power and tool. So if I want, I love this idea that you are the five people you hang out with. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to definitely choose those five people that I associate with most make, you know, bring those people into my friends. So I don't have to be like, Oh, you don't make the cut. You don't make the cut. Mm -hmm. It can be a completely different, like I can just say, Oh, with my discernment and all those other things that I can use for my alignment, I can draw that person into my experience and I can discern whether they are or they aren't mm-hmm. in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to blame myself. I don't have to blame them. There doesn't have to be any judging. Mm-hmm. And I can always walk away from any situation with love and peace. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so some of the other saboteurs, I'll mm-hmm. go through them alphabetically, are the avoider. And I'll just I'll just give you a little paragraph about a little synopsis about where this avoider comes into problems, into mm-hmm. play. Okay. Okay, so the avoider, the avoider focuses on the positive and the pleasant in an extreme way. So just so you know, a little hint, this is definitely a saboteur I relate to. I think this is one that I relate to a lot as well. It's kind of funny. And while we read these um, and talk about them, you'll find the ones that like, oh, yeah, I have an avoider saboteur that likes to speak for me. Mm -hmm. And um, don't judge it, right? Mm -hmm. Just laugh at it. It's Mm -hmm. fun. Okay, so it avoids difficult and unpleasant tasks and conflicts. (laughs) Yes. If it's not fun, Mm -hmm. I don't do it. It leads you to the habits of procrastination and conflict avoidance. Yes. It results in damaging eruptions and festering conflicts that have been sidestepped and causes delays in getting things done. Mm-hmm. Its lie is that you are being positive, not avoiding your problems. Mm, yep. I I cannot say how much I resonate with that, <laughs> that voice right there. <laughs> and this is the fun thing. While you're... Hearing these saboteurs, it is a really great idea to name them. Mm-hmm. I love that you've already done that. So if you have a name for that, you can be like, what name? Because that that is so helpful when you see the avoider come to play. You're like, oh, I see you. Mm-hmm. You know, Joy, or let's not name it Joy, avoider. I don't know what I've named my avoider. I can't remember I kind of try to keep them close to the name of avoider. So let's say it's avid Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? And I like to say, oh, I see you. I see you right now. Mm -hmm. I recognize you. Mm -hmm. And that just takes me one step away from my thoughts, one step away closer to me, connecting Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. And then I can just play with that. I can laugh at it. I can recognize it for what it is. Mm -hmm. I don't have to act on it. 
Okay. I love it. Yes. The controller. The controller runs on an anxiety-based need to take charge, to control situations and bend people's actions to one's own will. It generates high anxiety and impatience when that is not possible. In the controller's worldview, you are either in control or you are out of control. Hmm. While the controller allows you to get short-term results, in the long run, it generates resentment in others and prevents them from exercising and developing their own fullest capabilities. Its lie is that you need the controller to generate the best results from the people around you. Hmm. That I can see being an easy one for parents to fall into. I mean, it's like the opposite of respectful parenting, right? But it's so easy to get, because you have these little people that you do actually have power over because they're smaller. And you think that through this controlling way, you can get them to do the things, but the long-term uh, cost is, it's not the way to go. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't serve us long-term, but it's really easy, I think, to fall into that as parents. Yeah. I you can get your kids to do what you want. Yeah, through but bribes gonna, and punishments, and mm-hmm. but it doesn't serve it's them It's going to have a cost. Yeah. Yeah. Controlling mm-hmm. the situation. So it looks like a good idea because you might win that one little battle with your child, mm-hmm. but the overall relationship, mm-hmm. the overall self-esteem, the self-value, the trust in the relationship, mm-hmm. yeah, it can whittle away at it. Yeah. And it's really fun also if not only to name these saboteurs, but to also recognize them, Mm -hmm. not only in yourself, but other people, Mm -hmm. because that gives you discernment. It's like, I can see the spinach in your teeth, but I can't see the spinach in my teeth. Mm -hmm. Well, I can see those aspects in other people. I cannot judge them for it. I can understand them. I can see like, oh, they have a controller saboteur. Mm -hmm. It's not them. They have a controller saboteur. They don't even know they have a controller saboteur. Mm. So it takes you one distance away from labeling people as controlling. Mm. You can see, oh, they have a, their controller just took over that situation mm. because it thought it was the best way to handle it. Mm-hmm. And so I like that too. But it also helps you see those aspects. You're like, if I can see it in somebody else, oh, then I can more easily recognize it within me mm. too. Mm-hmm. I like that. In fact, if you see it within somebody else, you're projecting, right? So it is inside of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah, you can only recognize it if it's what you do. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the hyperachiever is the next one. So the hyperachiever makes you dependent on constant performance and achievement for self-respect and self-evaluation. Mm. It keeps you focused mainly on external success rather than on internal criteria for happiness. It often leads to unsustainable workaholic tendencies and causes you to fall out of touch with deeper emotional and relationship needs. Its lie is that your your self-acceptance should be conditional on performance and external validation. Mm -hmm. So you and I are in the circus world. Mm -hmm. So you see performers Mm -hmm. who this is, you know, this is, how they identify themselves mm-hmm. like they're hyper achieving they'll they'll push their body farther than it should go they'll um say yes to things that probably should be no's because their life is being lived to have that external validation based on their performance mm-hmm. based on whether they win mm-hmm. and this is really hard place to put your self-esteem and your value on mm-hmm. and the beautiful sage perspective. Like any external circumstances, whether it's money, your job, 
circus performing, whatever it is. I mean, like what you just said was like a ring true anytime we think that our identity, I mean, Eckhart Tolle would call it form, you know, anytime we think any of our outside roles or form is our identity, then we're always going to be hustling for our worthiness because yes. nothing is the same, right? It's such a great way to say it. Hustling for your worthiness. It's Brene Brown. It's not me. I love that. <laughs> you pulled that out. That was so beautiful. Yeah. So knowing that when we that hyperachiever, right, achieving's good, mm-hmm. right? Achieving, it it gives us experience. It, rec- it helps us recognize that we are capable of so much more yeah. than you know, that we think and we, we put forth practice and effort and it's fun. And it's satisfying. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's so great. I think last time we talked about this, but it's like the child in the playground who's just doing cartwheels and backflips and back tucks until somebody goes, Oh my gosh, you're amazing. Do that again. Mm -hmm. And now they're doing it for the accolades. They're not Mm -hmm. doing it for the internal just joy and playfulness of just doing it because Mm. they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Now they're doing it because they have to. Mm. Is it like the difference between, for me, it feels like a push and a pull. So when I'm, Mm. when I'm being pulled towards something, it's the kid on the playground where for me, achieving, it's a beautiful part of this life, right? Like you're, you're progressing and you're learning and you're, I mean, all of that for me, it's part of the beauty of being alive. And I feel like I'm being pulled through inspiring ways to get better at this. And I feel hungry, but in a good way, striving, but in a satisfied way, hungry, but full, striving, at satisfying, you know, all that kind of feeling. Mm. But as soon as it turns into a push where I either think I'm either getting too attached to it as part of my identity and my worth, or I start feeling a push of actually, no, what am I saying? It's still worth because I'm thinking people will accept me more. I will be more loved if I keep up this. Then it turns into a push and it actually loses so much of its life force for me. And that's so brilliant because that's what we want as coaches is we want them to use that pull of the sage, right? Instead of the push of the saboteur. Mm-hmm. That's such a perfect way to say it. When you feel pulled, then you know this is for for fun. This isn't based on you know, your value. This is just an expression of you. It's like that inspired mm-hmm. action. But it's ironic because I actually think you achieve, you can actually achieve more from that place. So it doesn't that you just become a sedentary person, right? I mean, I actually think you live more fully when you're living from that space. A hundred percent. Than just pushing and pushing and pushing yourself. Your achievements will be be even greater. And not just based on your physical activity, but also like your relationships will be better if you know that my parents love me not because I'm getting A's, not because I'm going to college, not because of the job I have. So many times when I work with kids, they think that they have to perform a certain way because if they don't, then their parents won't love them, Mm. you know, that their Mm -hmm. parents won't approve of them. But I always teach them, they do love you. They do approve of you. If one of their saboteurs showed up in that conversation, it was because of one of their saboteurs. You know, mm. I always like to teach them. It wasn't them. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to achieve to be loved. Mm-hmm. And if you think you do, then you're actually, you know, limiting them and their mm-hmm. love for you. Mm-hmm. Share with them. Open up to them. Tell them your fears. Tell them your weaknesses. Tell them what you struggle with. Tell them your addictions. Tell them your failures. Tell them how you screwed up. Tell them about the ticket. Tell them and give them enough credit Maybe that they can they can hear you. Of course, their initial response will be the judge, will be a saboteur. 
That's not their fault. Mm -hmm. That's built in the operating system, of course. Mm -hmm. But give them another chance. Mm -hmm. Give them another chance and another chance. And over time, just trust in the perspective that the goodness is what people are. Mm -hmm. They say people are good. Mm -hmm. They just need to tap into that when they're not in fear. The reason they're treating you badly when they hear these things about you is because they're tapped into fear. Mm -hmm. Every mm-hmm. parent is so wired mm-hmm. for that judge and that fear, right? Because mm-hmm. it thinks it's going to protect them. Yeah. I think that if I have these rules for my children, that they'll they'll it'll protect them and they'll be the best person they're supposed to be. They could be, mm-hmm. but actually, it could limit that, mm-hmm. you know. And so, I don't know. I kind of just wanted to throw that part in there too. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so hypervigilant is the next one. The hypervigilant makes you feel intense and continuous anxiety about all the dangers surrounding you and what could go wrong. Mm -hmm. It is constantly vigilant and can never rest. It results in a great deal of ongoing stress that wears you and others down. Mm. Its lie is that the dangers around you are bigger than they actually are and that nonstop vigilance is the best way to tackle them. Mm. Yes. And I and I have a client that was um, a parent and the fears of her children being kidnapped, the fears of, you know, just that one topic of being kidnapped. It was at play all day, so many days, you mm. know, and and we had to really address this hyper vigilant of making dangers way bigger than they really are mm-hmm. and having to put that into an appropriate perspective. Mm-hmm. How much vigilance is appropriate mm-hmm. for the safety of your children, for your safety. Mm-hmm. And then from there, know that if the worst thing does happen, you'll know you have a sage on board. You are the sage. You will know what to do. Things, things will happen on your behalf to benefit you. Mm-hmm. But if you take it, I always like that word appropriate. Like mm-hmm. the uh, vigilance is good, you know. Mm-hmm being prepared, you know, wearing your seatbelt, having insurance, like things like that mm-hmm. are good. But do we have to live in the constant fear of the worst thing that could ever happen yeah. and how that drains our life vitality? Mm-hmm. And if we're constantly in that perspective, we're not coming up with the best solution. Like yeah. you said, panic does not, mm-hmm. <laughs> does not bring forth the best, the best behavior, the best solution. Mm-hmm. Well, anybody who's ever been swimming with a large amount of toddlers knows how draining hypervigilance is, right? I mean, now that's a situation where you, you are choosing to be hypervigilant, but it is draining. Mm. I mean, I remember going to the pool. I always loved to swim. Then I remember taking three small children to the pool, and I was like, I don't even like this anymore, <laughs> you know? But when you're living your whole life, and again, that's an, that's an appropriate place to be. You know, I'm just counting heads because yes, it's, yes. it's an important place to be vigilant. But what I'm saying is it's just an example of how draining, if you're living your whole life in hypervigilance, yes. It's draining. I mean, it's it's exhausting. Yeah. So, and I like and I like how that we have three hyper yes things because because it helps us know what they are. We have hyper achiever, hyper vigilant, hyper rational next, and then we have another one. It's kind of nice to be able to like pair them, not pair them, triplet them. Yeah. <laughs> Put them together. Triplet them. Yeah. It helps her like help me keep track of them. I like yeah. it. So where is the you know where do you see that hyper vigilant? in yourself or can you if it's not in you so much other people it really Mm -hmm. helps you see how it's not helpful (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and so 
keeping an eye on that's always a really good idea too. Mm-hmm. And to have empathy for those people who who the hypervigilant is constantly offering its thoughts to you, yeah. to them. Yeah. Uh, let's go into hyper-rational. So the hyper-rational um, involves an intense and exclusive focus on the rational processing of everything, including relationships. It causes you to be impatient with people's emotions mm. and regards emotion as unworthy of much time or consideration. When under the influence of the hyper-rational, you can be perceived as cold, distant, or intellectually arrogant. It limits your depth and flexibility in relationships at work or in your personal life and intimidates less analytically-minded people. Mm. Its lie is that the rational mind is the most important and helpful form of intelligence that you process. Mm. Yeah, interesting. And it's kind of interesting because I don't relate to this one very much and but I've met somebody who was like oh my gosh that that is me that is at play all the time and was like wow I can see that everywhere in every aspect of my life Mm -hmm. and I was like oh this is a friend we have in common right yes and I was like oh because she kind of brought that up when we were together and I was like oh but the interesting thing is I didn't know what a problem that was for her. Mm. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, that can be a big problem. Mm -hmm. And so to, to see how emotions are just to dismiss people's emotions, how that affects relationships, Mm -hmm. how when you see only things as just the facts and don't overlay like how that feels to you, mm-hmm. how it really shuts you down mm-hmm. and shuts other people down that intimacy around you because mm-hmm. you're not willing to feel like mm-hmm. you're like the logical mind is it. I kind of, mm-hmm. I've named this one Spock <laughs> I like it because that's Spock, right? Like uh-huh. they believed that emotions, I actually mm-hmm. named him Paul cause that's my dad, but my dad <laughs> is Spock. Too. Um, and so, um, Hmm. I can see how that has affected my dad's relationships. I can see how that rational part of him is so brilliant Hmm. and so helpful. Hmm. And when I want to go to my dad for like the rational, well thought out way to do something, Mm -hmm. like he's who I go to, Hmm. right? But also I'm not going to go to him crying. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go to him vulnerable Mm -hmm. because I don't know if there would be any warmth to be received. Mm -hmm. And when I have done that, it's usually just, okay, well, this is how you, what you need to do to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And really what I just really wanted is I wanted, I wanted that love. I wanted that empathy. I wanted that validation a little bit. I just Mm -hmm. wanted that softness of the emotion Mm -hmm. and not the instruction book. Yes, that makes sense. I'm glad you point that out. That's a really good example of a time because being rational is a strength and there's place for being rational. But if you are being rational without having empathy and being open and vulnerable and compassion, right, then then it it doesn't serve you anymore. Yeah, hmm. it has a destructive hmm. effect on your relationships, on, you know, the way you handle things mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. we want to feel the feels mm-hmm. right we feeling it can help us find the appropriate response hyper rational also could be inappropriate mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Where if we see it a little more emotional with a little more um, compassion, maybe even a little more anger, Mm -hmm. that can motivate us to be maybe a little more proactive, Mm. right? Instead of just like, oh, we're just going to see this as, as, you know, with no emotion Mm -hmm. whatsoever, because that just makes things complicated. Mm -hmm. Maybe there, we do need to pull a little emotion into the experience Mm -hmm. depending on the result, Mm -hmm. right? It's not depending on how we feel. What is the result you want going up the action line? What actions would give you, what choices would get you that result? Well, what feeling do we need to motivate that? Because sometimes you know, something other than love is going to maybe need to be coming at play. Hmm. I don't know. It, it, your sage will know. Mm-hmm. So hmm. that one's kind of interesting. That's fascinating. And I'm with you. I think we're very similar in our <laughs> views and personalities. So yeah, I'm, I know friends who have that tendency towards that one, but and you can it's see, difficult for me to understand it. Yeah, me too. And you can see like that spinach in their teeth, you can see how that affects Mm -hmm. their life Mm -hmm. Yes, in that hyper-rational way. To be clear, not that I'm saying I don't, because of course, I think we all have aspects of these, you know, these voices, all of us. So I'm not saying I don't at all, but it wasn't like the avoider that every single word that I was like, oh yes, (laughs) I've heard that before. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. A hundred percent. And we do have about two or three that really speak for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The next one is the pleaser. The pleaser compels you to try to gain acceptance and affection by helping, pleasing, rescuing, or flattering others constantly. It causes you to lose sight of your own needs and become resentful of others as a result. It also encourages others to become overly dependent on you. Mm. Its lie is that you are pleasing others because it is a good thing to do, denying that you are really trying to win affection and acceptance indirectly. Mm. So this is my... Another one of my really strong saboteurs Mm -hmm. is the pleaser. It's a really good thing to be a pleaser, but you can take that too far. Mm -hmm. And it has a negative effect. It actually does the opposite. And this is why it's hard because it's kind of like the hyperachiever. Like I'm looking for external validation and external... I need people to like me because if you don't like me, then I'm not likable. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So I've got to manipulate you in a way that I can people please you so that, and the way I'm manipulating you is I'm trying to get you to like me. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling you things you want to hear. I'm not being authentic. So the funny thing with the pleaser, the way this comes into a problem in my life is because I give so many compliments that mm. no one believes me. Like, you say that to everybody. Like, my daughter doesn't come to me to see if an outfit looks good. She goes to somebody else because she's like, Mom, you're always going to say it looks good. Right? She mm-hmm. doesn't trust that I'm going to be honest. Mm. She thinks, I'm just going to want to make you happy. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to want to make you feel good. Mm-hmm. And that can be can create a shallow relationship because I'm not Mm. willing to tell her the hard thing that maybe will make her feel uncomfortable, Mm. right? And so that's something I'm really trying to work on is being, Mm. is being honest. And of course, trying to be honest in a, in a kind way. But if I, if there is something that I don't like, that I need to communicate that Mm -hmm. instead of just saying, Mm -hmm. Yes, all the time. Well, it pairs nicely with the avoider because you're avoiding the uncomfortable. 
conversations. <laughs> they come in. They're so helpful for each other. Yeah, they really do get along exactly. well. Exactly. What about where it says how the pleaser, they're trying to get affection without, they're trying to get it indirectly. So that to me is implying that, are you saying it's just better to ask for what you need or want directly instead of trying to hint at it or go through it the pleasing 100%. way? hundred percent. I think it's one way I do this is I'll tell people, so what do you guys want to have for dinner tonight? And I'm like, I mean, do you want Mexican? (laughs) And they all know, well, Robin wants Mexican. (laughs) Instead of me saying, just directly saying, I would love Mexican. How does that feel for you? Mm -hmm. Would that resonate for what you want to have dinner for tonight? And we can have a conversation, but just to be more direct about what I feel, what I want, because then people aren't do you want Mexican or do you, uh, mm-hmm. are you just throwing that out there because it's the closest thing or it's the cheapest thing? Like no one knows actually really what you're trying, what you really think and feel mm-hmm. because you're just being so, you know, indirect about it to try to get something from yes, them. Yes. That makes total sense to me. And Byron Katie would say, you're making a request, right? We make, make a request, request clearly. And then we leave it to other people whether they're going to accept that request or, yeah, it gets a conversation. So it doesn't have to be just because I request something means it happens. But we are all frustrated. I've been frustrated before when I'm trying to have somebody read my mind. They're yes. frustrated. Everybody's frustrated. And it's like, how did you not pick up that that's what I wanted? Oh. If I would have just asked, and then they can say yes or no. Yes. It's much better. Okay. Yes. I really like that. I so love it. Exactly. And where I get into really big problems is because you start resenting. Mm-hmm. You start resenting people because you're not listening to your nose and mm-hmm. you're just a yes man and you're constantly saying yes. Mm-hmm. And then people will let you say yes to everything for them, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, thank you. And then will you do this? And then will you do this? And when, when will you do this? Mm-hmm. And you're not like going inside and saying, do I want to do that? Mm-hmm. Am I am I doing this because I'm trying to manipulate them to win affection and approval and acceptance? Mm-hmm. Or am I doing this because I want to do this? Mm-hmm. Because it would inspire me. It would make me feel more connected to myself and more connected to them. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I doing, why am I saying yes to this? Mm-hmm. And if I feel a no inside, why am I not saying no? And yeah. then you can find that people pleaser every time. Yeah. I like it. So it doesn't help relationships. It actually hurts relationships. Mm -hmm. And they don't get to know you. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of times with my mom, I wouldn't tell her my opinion about a certain topic she would talk about Mm -hmm. because I was trying to avoid any confrontation Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to people please her. And Mm -hmm. then now I'm trying to actually speak for myself because I want her to know me. Mm -hmm. Not because I want to change her mind and not because I want to make her wrong or right, but because I want her to know me. I want her to know who I am as a human, what I actually think. Hmm. And so it's been really fun because I asked her, it makes you uncomfortable when I tell you these things because we have different opinions on everything. Mm -hmm. And I said, but I want to share with you who I am. I want us to be able to connect in our differences. Mm -hmm. I want to see where you're right and I'm wrong. And I would love this to be, we can use this these differences is a conversation piece, not to pick sides on a battle mm-hmm. and find you're wrong about that. And I have to, I have to fix you, mm-hmm. but just like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. 
Oh, mm. interesting. Mm. And it's so fun to be able to use these, recognize all these ways that I sabotage what I really, really want, which is true connection, mm-hmm. not just to get along with my mom. Yeah. And I no longer need to get along with her. Mm-hmm. I don't have to make her like me. I don't have to have her approve of me. I just want her to know me. I want her to know I disagree with everything, not to make her wrong, but just so she, just so she knows me. Mm-hmm. So it's not avoiding. I don't need her to like me. Mm. It's liberating. At all. Mm-hmm. Not even a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the, usually the more I share and the more authentic I am without making her wrong, mm-hmm. the closer we're getting. Mm. It's really fun. Mm. It's beautiful. Because if I never share who I am with her, trying to please her, I'll never believe she loves me. Ever. Right. Because I'll know she doesn't know anything about me. Yes. But if I know she knows everything about me and still loves me, which she does, she always shows up as love. She always loves me. Her behavior might not always be my favorite, Mm -hmm. but in the end, she loves me. Mm -hmm. And that's so fun because Mm -hmm. now she's really actually getting to know me. Yes. So that love feels more real. And if she chose not to love you, you have already freed her from that because you are choosing to show up. Right. It's and not then obligated. letting people do what they will with it. Yeah. I don't need her to yeah. love me at all oh, I love that. to feel like I'm a lovable person. Mm. Mm. I love it. I love that. So great. I think of all the, I mean, for me, my two things I want to be in my life, my, my ultimate, ultimate, ultimate goal is loving and authentic. Those are the two mm. like, on my deathbed, my great grandkids. Like that's, if I could choose a legacy, that's what I want it to be. And for me, that has to be, I have to show up and then you can choose to like me or not, but I can't compromise by not showing up as myself or else I am, for me, that's like a deep, deep desire and that I'm compromising myself. Right. Yes. So I would rather have people choose not to like me and be myself yes. than try to bend to fit into what they're like. Cause I, and again, this is coming back to the achieving thing. Ironically, I think we are all actually drawn towards authenticity. So when I show up as authentic, I'm going to have people like me and people who don't, right? If I'm trying to please and bend myself to be who they want, I'm still going to have people like me and people who don't. And frankly, I actually think it's usually more of the not because none of us like people who are, I mean, there's something that is slightly uh, revolting is too strong of a word. Creepy. But I think we all intuitively pull back from people who we sense are bending to be what we yes. want them to be, right? Yes. I mean, we see in junior high, right? It's yeah. like the feeling that was in junior high oh, everywhere. Such a great you know? way to say <laughs> like, it. Yeah, we should say that, actually. The people pleaser <laughs> is like your junior high. Where you're just trying to be, like everybody's just trying to figure out, how do I want people to see me instead of who am I, right? Yeah. And as soon as it shifts from, okay, how are people, are people liking me? Oh, wait, I just did this and they laughed. Great. As soon as it's, oh, I'm just going to be myself, then automatically it's amazing. More people end up liking you. And guess what, though? There's still people who don't. And that's okay. That, for me, what you just said about your mom is, for me, where true freedom happens. Because it's Mm. like a, here I am. I'm showing up. And I'm going to let you see me. And then you can then you can choose, and I and I give you all of that freedom for yourself. Hundred percent. You can choose whether you like it or Don't not, or love me. That. And it's okay. I'm okay either way. Yeah. You know, it's powerful and it's liberating. And for me, it just opens up the whole world of who I allow myself to be. Yes. You know exactly. And when you know that you're, you know, it's that looking for uh, affection and acceptance because you obviously need it, right? If you don't, if you love and accept yourself, if you 100% know 
you don't have to be perfect to love and accept yourself, then you really literally don't need it from anybody. And I think that when you're people pleasing, I think the way you described it was perfect. It's like, you know, when you're being people pleased Mm -hmm. and it's kind of creepy and there's the the element of a lack of respect for them. Mm -hmm. And when you know they have no boundaries and you can just walk all over them, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just not a great thing. Mm -hmm. It, you can be a kind person and you can be authentic and you can be loving. You don't have to try to get people to like you. Mm-hmm. That's when it turns that gross way. Yeah. Yeah. My really big words. That's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Restless is the next one. The restless is constantly in search of greater excitement in the next activity or through perpetual busyness. If you haven't recognized my three, those are my three, the avoider, the pleaser, and the restless. Hmm. Um, It doesn't allow you to feel much peace or contentment with your current activity. It gives you a never-ending stream of distractions that make you lose your focus on things and relationships that truly matter. Other people have a difficult time keeping up with the person ruled by the restless and often feel distance from him or her. Its lie is that by being so busy, you are living a life full, but it ignores the fact that in pursuit of a full life, you miss out on your life as it is happening. Hmm. Now, I knew I had the restless, but the more I see the restless in me when it speaks for me, I cannot tell you how much it has cost me, how it has hurt things, how it is, it is really, it's not like one of these sabotage, sabotagers are worse than another. They all just wreak havoc. And so I didn't really think my restless was that big of a deal. I'm like, I kind of like that restless person mm, inside of me, mm-hmm. but it's that overdoing of the restless, right? Mm. Um, that constantly like, I'm going to dig a well because I want to get to water. And so you're digging a well and you're like, oh, I'm not getting there fast enough. I'm going to go dig over here. Mm. Oh, that's not an interesting spot anymore. I'm going to, so we like dip our hands into little things, but we never actually do the thing. Mm. We're just so restless trying to busy ourselves and trying to get the most out of the, out of life by extending ourselves far too Mm. thin Mm. instead of just go to the well go deep, keep digging, stay in this space, find the end, finish it, be complete with it, figure out all of the person you can be doing this one project, follow it through, finish it. And the person you'll be on the other side of it, that disciplined, that kiss, you know, um, showing up for yourself, keeping the schedule, making that appointment that you're going to work on that presentation and you show up on schedule working on that presentation and you're like, Oh, someone called, I'm going to go run and play instead. (laughs) (laughs) I'll come back to that later. That's not fun. I've never done that before. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) as you're talking, I'm resonating (laughs) with this. Because we're the same person. Because, well, as you're talking, I mean, at first I was like, well, no, I feel like when I'm doing something, I'm present with it, but it's, because, <laughs> and I feel the same way about you though. You're present, right? When you're doing the thing, you're just saying that it's like the consistency that you're lacking of going deep in things. So for me, writing, like showing up and writing every day, I'm like, oh, but this came up. Great. This came up. Whatever. Yeah, I'm super present for what I enjoy. So 
I enjoy talking to people and I enjoy people. So I am so present. This is where the restless comes into play. I just have a homework assignment. Okay. Okay. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to give a talk and I'm writing it on my iPad and my phone dings and I'm like, Oh, and then I pull it up and there's a text. And then the next thing I know, I'm like texting that person, which reminds me, Oh, I've got to schedule this other person. So I'm doing this other thing and other thing. I am so easily distractible because I will not sit down at my iPad and not allow a distraction. And I'm going to focus. I'm going to set a schedule. I'm going to show up at my iPad this time for one hour. I'm going to be fully present in what I am doing right here, right now. Mm. And I am not going to stop until that hour is done. Right now, when I talk about that, I think, wow, what an accomplishment. I would feel so good if Mm -hmm. I did that. I would get so much done. It would Mm -hmm. be so deep and profound and the layers that I would go deep within me to, Mm -hmm. to express that is so exciting to me, but I just want that like quick, quick, fun, dopamine, like connection. What's easy for me, what I really Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. even though I really do enjoy this, I won't put all of my my entire being into it, like mm. I do when I'm talking to you. Mm, that makes sense. So that I'm restless sense. in those ways that the avoider is also at play with. Yes, that makes sense. Right? So for me, housework, right? So housework, I just mm. don't like. But but it does add so much value, right? So it's it's something that's important to me. But yeah, I'll get distracted 10 times over. So Mm, writing. Yeah. I mean, I can think of as you're talking. When you first read it, I was like, I don't know, I don't know. But yeah, I actually think, yep, yeah, that's that's in my top three, most definitely. Yeah, and not only is it in your top three, probably um, that speak for you, but really pay attention how this sabotages your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm like, as I'm learning more about it and what really have my eye on it, like, oh, I see you, I see you, little restless. I see what you're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. I, th- I know why you think this is going to be more, more helpful. You're going to be more engaged in life. You're going to get more out of this experience. If you look at your phone and if you go get a snack out of the thing and if you run upstairs and change the laundry, but you're actually going to get more out of life if you sit down and you actually go from beginning to finish with all of your presence and mm. give it all of your time, just this one thing, at this mm. one time, everything. Mm, Robin, you're speaking to my soul. Mm. When it says that you think that you're going to miss out on a life, like that's the that's what the that saboteur is telling you. The lie is that by being restless, you're going to get more out of life. For me, I always am feeling like I want to squeeze all the juices out of life. Always, <laughs> like lick the batter. Like for me, literally, like I use that metaphor. Like I'm licking the edge of the bowl because there's just so many amazing <laughs> things in this life, and I want all of them. So, and that's, oh, that's good. That part is good. Wanting to like squeeze the juice out of life and live it fully. But if I don't allow myself to do the consistent, the consistency of the things that give me where I want to go, like what are the things that I want? And am I setting aside the time for those things? Even when they're long hauls, you know, the writing a book takes like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of focused, deep work. How is it ever going to happen if I don't actually sit down and do it because I'm just wanting to squeeze the joy out of every single moment, right? So, ooh, yeah, it's, that's speaking to me. Yeah, it's, anyway. it's a really big one for me and one that I just, 
I feel like that's probably causing me, you said it exactly right. It is costing me to put into my life, to create the life I really, really want. Like you were saying, I really, really want to write that book. I look at you doing a podcast. I want to do a podcast, but it would require me to sit down and learn all the details and the back end of stuff and, and organize, which I don't want to do. I want to go, oh, I could go play pickleball. That's like fun and exciting and like stimulating. We're doing all the back end work, like housework and all those things. Those aren't, but I have to give that mm-hmm. value. I have to realize yeah. the restless is taking away from me the true things I really want in life because I'm doing all, I'm dabbling in all these other fun mm, things yeah. that have this stimulation. But like at the end of the day, if I say at the end of my life, I want to have placed value in the world. The value I want to put in the world, me, is a book, is is all this. I've spent 54 years accumulating all the things that make me so happy and work so well. And I want to put those down. I want to share them. I want to express them. I want to relive them for me. If anyone finds value out of it or not, it doesn't even matter. It's just the process of who I would have to become to finish a book. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it would be like, I would have to be a different person. And it's the restless that's keeping me from knowing that woman. Hmm. Well, it's not a different person. It's who you truly are. It's your sage, right? Right. So it isn't morphing yourself into something that you're not. It's simply uncovering that part of you and, and weighing out if it's valuable, right? Well, and she would things. be so different. Like she would be different in that I would write a schedule mm-hmm. and I would keep to the schedule mm-hmm. and I would take the distractions out and I would do the things. So mm-hmm. I would be a different person. Mm-hmm. I would be closer to my sage, but the woman I am today is not going to write a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because of the restless saboteur. Yeah. So how do you balance that with, with the living? So all those things that put us in that state of just like, I feel alive and I feel, I mean, those things that are, some of them are fun, some of them are rewarding, some of connection. I mean, even just conversations with people. I could spend all day just talking to people and be quite happy with myself. So, so are you saying that it's just, with this, I guess it's like with all of those that you said, it's balance. Is it balance? Is that, what's the right well, word here me, we're looking for? To me, it's present moment focus at the task at hand without being allowed to be distracted. Okay. Right? okay. So the restless is like, can you be fully present in what it is you committed yourself to do? Mm, okay. Can I be fully present in... You know, and a lot of people listening and being present is hard because their brain is thinking about where they're supposed to be next or the conversation they just had with their loved one before. Yeah. So that's a strength for us. But where where that strength turns into a sabotage is when it comes to things we don't want to do. Yes. I'll spend an hour extra at the grocery store talking to the clerk instead of coming home and folding my laundry. Exactly. So that's where the balance <laughs> so is. So the connection, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm with you. I can yeah. be present with the conversation. That one's not hard for me, but maybe for somebody else, we all have our things. Okay, okay. So what you're saying is, it's being present, and when we look at our time, are we giving the time to the things that align with what we want to achieve or value or whatever it is, and make sure that we, when we say we're going to dedicate time to something like that, we actually allow ourselves that and don't veer off. And whatever, yeah. even, I mean, I feel like most of the things I do, they're positive pursuits, right? 
But when they're taken away from something else that's also important to me, right. I need to look at that. Mm. Okay. And then, like you it. know, the part of the restless is that multitasking, right? Mm, yes. Oh my gosh. I will, I crack myself up. I will be trying to read something. And at the same time, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do six different things <laughs> at once. And obviously all six things I'm sucking at. They're not even, I'm not even doing one of them well, but if I could take all that energy and just do the one thing and Eckhart Tolle, he talks about how being present, like when you're vacuuming so much of the restless is I'm just trying to hurry and vacuum to get the thing done to check it off the mark. But vacuuming is secondary. Mm-hmm. My presence of being the being I am while I'm doing the thing I'm doing. That's part of that. Like going out of that restless and just doing it for the being, who I'm being. I'm being a methodical. I'm being present. I'm being peaceful. I'm being whatever it is I'm being. The vacuuming is secondary. That's mm-hmm. not the focus. It's who I'm being while I'm doing it. Mm. So restless to me also means is while I'm at the iPad, am I am I constantly also being distracted by my brain? Or can I be like really deeply engaged in typing out the sound of the clicks, going deep into how I really do think about this, exploring how it affects me, like really going into the moment and juicing it out. But in that thing, I think that I don't want to do, but I actually really, 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 really want to do it because I want to be the person on the other side of that. I want to have that clean house. Mm. That feels so good to me, Mm -hmm. you know? And so Yeah, the restless, I I guess I'm really talking about it because I really see (laughs) what it's costing me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful. And I think it's an easy one to overlook and just Mm -hmm. think, meh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you are looking for a great gift for yourself or somebody that you care about consider getting them a find the magic journal it is a journal that each of us use daily that helps us with questions in the morning that it asks you and that you do a little bit of journaling to help you focus on what's important for the day and really make steps each day towards your goals and then it also has a section to plan out your day so that things don't slip away from you and there's even a section for you to reflect at the end of the day And I found that as I've used it, it's been so powerful for me in really living my life in an intentional way. So if you'd like a journal, just go to findthemagic.co and click on the top link that says FTM journal. So again, that's findthemagic.co and just click on FTM journal. Thanks so much. Okay, the stickler is the next one. The stickler is the need for perfection. Order and organization taken too far. Obviously, order and organization is a good thing. 
you know, doing your very best, giving mm-hmm. it your best effort is a good thing. But the stickler takes that too far. It makes you and others around you anxious and uptight. It saps your own and others' energy on extra measures of perfection that are not necessary. It also causes you to live in constant frustration with yourself and others over things not being perfect enough. Its lie is that perfectionism is always good and that you don't pay a huge price for it. Hmm. So I have a client who I just worked with, and I was like, wow, the stickler is strong in this one. And it was so interesting because there was a right and a wrong way to do things, period. And so he at work, he would spend a lot of time on the budget because he felt like he had made a mess of the budget and so he fit, needed to fix it. So it had to be perfect um, in order to then hand it to the next person. Well, the problem was his job wasn't to do the budget. Oh, His boss was like, we have one of you and we need 50 of you to do what it is you're good at. Mm. The budget is not what we need you for, Mm. but because it had to be perfect, that, that thing that he was most valuable for wasn't getting the attention it needed. Mm. So we put it. So it's so amazing because we do have a huge price. We're putting things on perfection that aren't necessary. So Mm. we're wasting a lot of time, putting a lot of effort and energy into something that actually is inappropriate. Mm. We are best use our time and our resources and our skill set over here. Mm. But because everything has to be perfect, everything we touch, we're wasting so much time. And it doesn't need to be perfect. Mm. So it's not even helpful. Yeah. Being a perfection isn't even helpful. Mm -hmm. And so... Brooke Castillo and the life coach really introduced this thought that B minus work and the B minus work. And Jody uh, Moore has uh, an entire episode on B minus work. And it's so great. It helps you really see that we think that perfectionism is going to get us the result we want. That's why it's so important to look at the result we want and then apply the right action line, the right choices to be getting the result we want. I want to get this job done at work. Putting any more effort into this budget is a waste of my time. It is mm. not helping me get the result I need to get. And so the B minus work of this budget, I said to him, can you hand this budget over now to this person? He's like, yeah, but I feel terrible because it's such a mess. And I said, but can this person take it from here and and make a go of it? Well, yeah. Mm. And is your effort over here more valuable? Well, Yeah. But he's so frustrated that it's not perfect that he Mm. literally can't let it go. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So that perfectionism. And and I sometimes do that. A lot of times I do it in funny little ways. Like I went snowboarding with my son and I will mess with my boots forever. And I will tighten and tighten and tighten and loosen. It has to be perfect. And finally my son said to me, he's waiting for me forever. Mm. And he's like, mom, it doesn't have to be perfect. All it has to be is good enough to get down to the mountain. (laughs) As soon as you start, like, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, he's like, and if it's not good, we'll stop and you can fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I think about that all the time. My son Mm -hmm. has all these cool nuggets. He's taught me these little things he says. I will say that to myself probably three times a day. It doesn't have to be perfect, Robin. B minus work is good enough. Mm -hmm. Save it for the things that do have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, which is that even a thing? What Mm -hmm. is perfect? Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I showed him, he's, he did this project where he made his own jewelry, this own ring. And he's like, he's like, so you're saying this is perfect. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like this flaw right here. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Number Mm -hmm. one, I think in its perfection is that you had an experience that you connected with your friend. You made a piece of jewelry. That was a new hobby. It was kind of fun just in the experience of it. Mm -hmm. The experience of it is the perfect part. But if you're going for the perfect product, the experience isn't going to be any fun. And Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no, uh, reward Mm -hmm. at the end. You're Mm -hmm. just like, it wasn't perfect. And it's Mm -hmm. really goes along with black and white thinking, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. So being a stickler, also, if you have to be perfect, then that everyone else has to be perfect. Yes. And you have this unrealistic measure that you're using against yourself and everyone else and no one, everyone pretty much fails. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. I have so many questions about this, but I'm assuming the antidote is going to be found when we go over. We're going to do another episode about the sage part of us. And there's five of those that are kind of, I'm assuming, help us with these antidotes. Because I have so many questions. Like, when I, if I'm talking to a stickler about this, how do they let? How do you let it go when your brain's yelling at you to say, no, this has to be perfect? I mean, how do you let it go? That is a good question. It is a good question now for the stickler. Um, the stickler, if we moved into the sage brain, the stickler would find... I kind of like to always go back to that model. Like, what is the appropriate result that I need? Right? Like, and when will I know it's perfect enough? My daughter's an artist, and when I watch her do her art, I'm like, when do you know you're finished? Mm-hmm. Like, when is it ever like, oh, this is, I'm done. Like, mm-hmm. this is good. Mm-hmm. Like, when does that ever happen? And she's like, yeah, it's really hard because I'll just keep thinking it's not good enough yet. It's not good enough yet. She's like, and then I ruin it, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. I think it's living more intuitively, but also it purpose driven, like, what are my values? So the sage is always like, what are your values? And how do you navigate to your North Star? What is the best path to that value? Because, and I'm so glad you asked this, what I was coaching him on is he was trying to build more better relationships at home by being home more instead of working more. Oh, mm-hmm. So we had to keep pointing him back to his value. Is it being perfect or is it having more time with your family? Mm-hmm. What is your value? Interesting. So we had mm-hmm. to keep going, navigating to his North Star to more time with your family is what is important to you. So this is getting in your way of that. So hand the budget over to the guy who can handle it and do the things, the projects that you, only you can do at this point, because you don't have 50 of you, and then go home. Hmm. Stop working so many hours and go home and spend that time in your family. Hmm. I like that. So the thing that allows a stickler to let go of things is to take a look at their values and see, if I'm able to let this perfectionism go, then I'm able to put something that's more important to me put that energy there yes and it allows you to let it go because this is good enough at b minus but not being home with my family mm-hmm. i can see that that is not working for me that's mm-hmm. not what i want mm-hmm. yeah okay i love that yeah that's good that's so that's why your questions are so good oh, so i love it okay the last one um in our alphabetical order is the victim The victim wants you to feel emotional and temperamental as a way of gaining attention and affection. Mm. It results in an extreme focus on internal feelings, 
particularly painful ones and can often result in a martyr streak. The consequences are that you waste your mental and emotional energy and others feel frustrated, helpless, or guilty that they can never make you happy for long. Mm. The victim's lie is that assuming the victim or martyr persona is the best way to attract caring and attention for yourself. Mm, That's fascinating. Because as you were talking, I was thinking, ooh, it sounds, and it is, that just going too far on being in tune with your own feelings, right? I mean, because we all feel, I talk about it all the time, lean into your feelings, feel it. But when it becomes unhealthy, it sounds like it's when you're, you're choosing to be defined by it's those feelings. Ki- it's kind of like I need to be the victim of this because somewhere in my childhood, probably, or it helped me get, it helps me have people be softer towards me. Hmm, They're yeah. more okay. empathetic towards me. They, they have more, um, patience or tolerance for me because I'm the victim. They, mm. they allow so much more of my bad behavior because I'm a victim. I can be late for work or I can, I can have an outburst or I can do these things because if I'm the victim, then I kind of get allowances for that. Mm. I get more sympathy for that. So I'm going to play that role so that you won't be so harsh on me. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's a good skill. I can see how people want to use it, right? But the problem with being a victim is I, I have a, another client that, that this is very strong with. And the problem is, is that after a while, you literally feel like you can't help them. Yeah. You don't yeah. even want to try anymore. I've experienced that so many times. You're like, I do feel sorry for you. And I do see you're in a bad position. And I can't help you anymore because no matter how much help I offer... It, you're just always in the same spot, and mm. it almost makes you desensitized to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. And you really that. start to see that they're creating it themselves, mm-hmm. that they could step into their power. They don't have to be a victim to the situation, but they just stay in the situation because it serves them in some way, mm-hmm. right? But they don't see that they are playing the victim in it. I don't see when I'm playing the victim in it. And we victimize ourselves all the time. It's like... You could, it was so funny. I was just hearing this from a friend yesterday. She said, I was going for a hike. I had the time. I was going for a hike with my dog and it's freezing and the wind's kind of blowing and it's cold. And I get to the snow and I'm like, really snow now? Mm. And then she's walking a little farther and she's like, this is so funny that I am making myself a victim of something I am choosing. Mm -hmm. And she said, I am not the victim of this. So snow, I am the victor because no one has made it this far, but me like Mm. fresh snow, no one had trekked on. Mm. And I love how she turned that to the extreme. I am not the victim. I am the victor in this situation. And so that victim is so seductive. It feels so good to be the victim sometimes, even though it's mm-hmm. the worst feeling mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because it's, it's so justifying. unaccountable. You feel justified because yeah. you're... And it feels good to have no accountability and mm-hmm. to be able to blame everything on other people. Mm-hmm. There's something that's just relaxing about it, mm-hmm. even though it's the worst yeah. feeling in the world. Yes, yes. Right? And the problem is when mm. you... When you are the victim, there has to be a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're always going to find somebody who's the bad guy. And that's mm-hmm. also where your relationships are really in jeopardy because with this person, I feel really scared to get close 
because I know I'm going to be the bad guy sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Everyone's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't want to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to distance myself from you and, and I don't know how to help. And I know I'm eventually going to be the bad guy mm-hmm. because no amount of help really works. Yeah. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. So I really resonated with that. Others feel frustrated and guilty that they can't make you happy for long in all your relationships. They feel like the bad guy and they are in your story. Mm-hmm. And so when I mention to other people, like right now, there's a real strong victim mentality. Oh, you want to trigger <laughs> people fast? Tell them that they're being the victim. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, right? They are mm-hmm. so pissed. Mm-hmm. They're like, don't you call me a victim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right it's it's like yeah. in our society yeah. we have seen people as victims like you're like i'm playing the don't play the victim we're really harsh on people mm-hmm. who who are playing the victim but mm-hmm. again back to the sage we need to empathize and understand and in a way like help but maybe not call them out on it mm. right it's so interesting i'm trying to learn how to navigate this as i coach how to help them see when this victim mentality is showing up, but it automatically pulls in people's defenses. So if somebody says that to you and you're super defensive, you can start to see, oh yeah, I guess that victim is speaking for me. So this one is the one I really want people to not identify with, but to just recognize you've used this as a tool to Mm. help people soften around you. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. We mm-hmm. want people to be softened around us. We need to be soft around ourselves. But do we have to play the victim? And actually, you're probably going to get more softness from them when you're accountable. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm never saying you, aren't, you haven't been the victim of something, right? If you kind of look at it in one way, we're all the victims of victims. Yeah. Because when you are a victim of something, you tend to perpetrate that same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, of course... You know, we are victims of victims. Every bad thing that has ever been done to us has been done to the person who did it to us. And if we stay focused in that, we will do the bad thing to another. So that victim mentality is something we really want to recognize when it shows up and offers itself to us and see if we can get someone's softness or empathy another way. And where are we accountable? Where did we have a part to play in that? And can we use that as information, rich information to use in our future? Mm -hmm. But whatever victimized us at that time is no longer. Unless we replay it over and over again. It happened to us once. But then our victim wants us to replay it over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. So we're being victimized again and again and again and again. So the lie of the victim is assuming that if you're the victim or martyr, that you'll attract caring and attention for yourself. So that's when how you want to recognize. Am I wanting to place myself in the victim because I want to soften somebody? So I'm going to make an excuse for myself or I'm going to put the focus on what happened to me instead of understand things that are happening for me. And yes, of course, we are victimized sometimes. Like somebody hit you with their car, you know, you're in an accident. 
that happened to you, but what can you use in that situation? If you're going to tell people like, I'm going to tell you about this accident. Why are you telling them that accident? Are you telling Mm. them to try to get caring and attention and a softening towards you? And is that necessary? Can you tell them as a story without having to be the victim of it? Can you tell them, I don't know if that's even, if that's making sense to people like, Yes, you were, this thing did happen to you, but do you have to be the victim of it? Can you be mm. a person that it happened to without overlaying that story? Hmm. And I think there's power when you realize it happened to me, then I don't have to keep being a victim now. Yes. Right? You see that with childhood stuff all the time. Yeah. It's, I mean, my mom always says this beautiful thing this therapist said to her, which was, it was, terrible that your dad did that to you but now you just keep playing the tape over and over and over and over and that's more of a trap I mean at this point it happened this many times but now you've done it to yourself so many more times right yes so dad did it once but you've taken that and played it over and over and over again to hurt yourself and feel the same thing. Go back to that same experience over and over and over again. When you could take command of your brain, when that when the victim offers that to you, you can say, I don't need to play this over and over again. That happened to me one time. And then, does that where the, then you have your PQ things? Is that where then mindfulness comes in? Yes. Where you can say, I identify you. I don't want to play this tape anymore. I'm going to go now to this. I'm going to go to my breath. I'm going to go to, you know, whatever it is your practice is going to be to build that bridge. Is that what you're saying? Yes, because this is what's happening now. In reality, Mm. this isn't happening. Mm -hmm. I'm in this moment. What is happening in this moment? Where am I? What do I see? What do I hear? What is my touching? Where are my toes? Where is my breath? Where am I in this moment? Because That was then, this is now. Mm -hmm. And I like to reframe. I'll just kind of throw this out there. I like to reframe those moments as well. Mm -hmm. I'll take people and say, let's, if your brain's going to go there, let's play it over. Let's play it over in a scenario where if you could do it over again, what would you do differently? Ooh, change it. And yeah, change it. Because your brain doesn't know the difference between your memory and what you make up now. <gasps> and in fact, if we rely on our memories, they've shown that we don't even remember the facts. 60% of what we recall isn't even true. <laughs> so we can go it. back and replay it and do it in a different way. I like to go back and say, if you could do this differently, if you could be your dad and say it differently you could be the dad actor what would you say differently if you could be the child who heard it that way how could you see it differently if you could if you would want to do something different in that scenario be that actor and write the script differently what would you actually say differently oh my goodness and it's so fun i will do that we'll do 10 plays 10 skits 10 scripts of something different and it's so fun because then you use something that happened that you you can't change and you rewrite it in a way that if anything in the future happens, you've already rehearsed something totally new. You already have grown from that person that, that happened to at that time into a completely new person because you've redone it in so many different ways. And that's now our new programming. That's our new highway that we go and travel instead of back into the old pattern that we 
learned as a coping mechanism back then that worked because you survived it. Oh my goodness. Yes. I tell people to do that with parenting. You know, when something goes wrong or you lose, you know, you yell or whatever, you can actually go back with your child that night and say, can we replay in our minds literally for that reason that we are retraining the neural pathways in our brain by telling ourselves it's a story, but there's power in story. So I don't know why. I mean, this is like mind blowing to me. That we can just, it's a practice. Like we can actually take it into a practice and go back. And I have done, I mean, inner child work where you go back and you say the things to that child that the child needed to hear at the time. But this is taking, I feel like, to a whole nother level of go back, that painful memory, like go back to it and then just rewrite it and try living, try it out. Try living, playing, actually putting in another tape. Yeah, I had Because a, our brains will remember it. Yeah. I mean, because you're right, a, our brains... We're just feeding our brains what thoughts and stories. Right. So why not choose them? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And you're not telling yourself this is not reality, right? You're accepting that the reality is what happened or your perception of reality is what you saw. But then you're just choosing to try on different pathways. Right. Oh, I love it. It's so fun. I had a young girl who she had a situation when she was young with a friend. And they were young, like five or six. And this friend was a boy and he did certain things to her. And that she has held shame about that for 15 years. Mm. And we were able to go back to that very situation and we were able to empower her as a five-year-old. What did you, what would you want to say differently? What would you want to do? And then the beautiful thing is we also didn't have to make him the villain. Mm. We could she could see that he didn't probably know what he was doing or the effect it was going to have. And so we had her come in as an adult Mm. caretaking for a child and what that adult would say to the child that would be appropriate, that wouldn't make the child bad or wrong, but that would be appropriate and helpful Mm. so that that child would see this is harmful behavior. Mm. So we, we played with so many different ways and, And they went from her slapping him to her using her words to express how she felt. We used the adult coming in to protect her. And we used the adult to come in to educate and and, and love him. And we we must have come up with 10 different scenarios of how we wanted to reframe that and replay that and use that situation for a growth opportunity, for something to like, we healed this and we... We looked at it in every different scenario and we healed that and we can go from here and we don't have to play out patterns that came from reactions from that situation that now at a five-year-old is, is still playing out in the same way as a 15-year-old and mm-hmm. a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. We can heal that experience and get perspective. Not only of you, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And this guy, this person was not a villain in the way that you've over... Mm-hmm made it. Mm-hmm. What's that word? We kind of read it in one of these. It's like just that judge has made it so much bigger than it, the victim has made it so much bigger than it actually is. If you, if you try to really empathize with that person, mm-hmm. not make it right. That's the thing is love and empathy and compassion for both parties. Don't make it right. Nothing about the situation was right. But if we can grow as an individual in our empathy and our understanding and know really people are doing the best they know how in the environment that their brain is offering them under the sabotages that are that are coming into play, we really start to bring more humanity because 
that's what we want to do is we want to make everyone a human. And if we make them a victim or a villain, then they're not human anymore. Right. And humans are humans. And all of them are worthy and all of them are valuable and all of them have are worthy of of understanding and love and empathy and, and compassion and re-educating and giving, you know, given what is appropriate. Of course, it's appropriate sometimes to put those people in jail or whatever, but Mm -hmm. can we do it out of not vengeance? Mm -hmm. Can we do it out of, um, higher evolved people? That makes total sense to me. And And you can take a victim situation and evolve. Yes. So that's where we want to tap into is, mm-hmm. are you doing this to get and attract more caring and attention towards you? Mm-hmm. Could you do that in a different way mm-hmm. that doesn't cost you so much? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's powerful. I mean, as you're talking, I can think of just a little bit of work I've done with people with inner child, not even inner child. It can be adulthood stuff. But when you're going back and you're healing a situation where you have really felt like a victim, it's so powerful. I mean, it's not only powerful, but it's, I think it unlocks something that's so beautiful when we realize that we have the capacity in our own brain and the tools for that kind of healing that we come out of it. The thing that I have found in myself and working with other people is that the thing that always comes out of it when you do that kind of work, you come out of it with a kind of empathy mm. that came through something really difficult. Mm-hmm. But the empathy that you come out with is something that is, I mean, I know people who can literally like look at somebody and tell, I mean, they can almost just sense what the person has been, has gone through because mm-hmm. of their own experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Which again is a beautiful gift that can also be, if you go too far with it, it can weigh you down. But you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful, what I'm saying is it's, be- mm-hmm. it's a beautiful gift. And so what you're talking about here, I think is really powerful for people. But the only way I was ever able to get out of a victim mentality was to see the other person's perspective. Mm. That's the only way I could get out when Mm. I could actually put myself in their position and understand where they were coming from and what was, what sabotages, saboteurs were coming into play for them. Mm. Then they made more sense to me. I understood them better. And then it was less about me and more about this was on them. This was their bad behavior, but doesn't define them. Mm. And it doesn't make them inhuman. Yeah. They aren't a monster. Yeah. No one's a monster. We're just humans. And that was the only way I could get out of my victim mentality yes. was to do that work. And I didn't have to make it okay. I just had to understand what, what happened there on their end. Yes. Just like a victim is not your identity. There are moments in time where you know something that is awful can be done to you, it doesn't mean that your identity is a victim. Just as those people who do those things, their identity is not a monster, no, right? Like that's where we're, we're separating it. Right. Oh, it's so powerful. Oh my gosh. And that comes down to I'm so excited for our next episode where we're going to talk about the sages because when you were saying that, like the top, what do you say? Like the greatest of all is the compassion one and empathy and empathy. I mean, I think it's beautiful because I can really see how that would play out in this specific saboteur. Can you One last thing I want to say about the victim. I feel like this Uh is really important. Victims find fault in themselves all the time. Hmm. So then when they think if I don't have someone to blame, then it's my fault. Oh yes. And that's where we have to really be careful to use this work really gently there's no fault here. 
like mm-hmm. on you. Mm-hmm. Don't turn that into, I did something wrong. That's yes. where the shame comes in is I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Can we use that blameless discernment and really do the work on what are the results I want out of, if the circumstance line was this particular, the facts of what happened to you, mm-hmm. right? I was, someone hit me with a car. This person hit my car. That's the facts of it. And then how can we get to the result line of who do I want to be? What's the result I want to have in my life? Even if it requires surgeries or physical therapy or paralyzation or whatever, I, in the end, have no control over something that already happened. I only have control over how what I want from here and moving forward. Mm. And that is my result line. What do I want to do from here? Mm. And so don't use blame or faulting or make yourself to blame. I think that that's when the judge comes in and and then all these other saboteurs come in to just create chaos and, and destruction. Hmm. And then, sorry, what was your question? No, that makes total sense. I was just wondering for our listeners, if you could review, we just went over 10 saboteurs. Could you just review just the names of them to kind of help them remember which ones? And as she, as she talks, as she just names them, maybe it would be good for all of us just to kind of listen, which ones really resonated or did we feel like pick two or three? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then just identify them, right? That's where we start. We just start noticing. That's it. Oh, that's the victim talking. And don't judge it. Oh. Don't let the judge judge. come in the back door and judge it and don't make it personal. Just recognize it like, oh, this has nothing to do with me. That's why if you can make it have more of a personality and a name, it's less you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you are. Not being helpful. For me, I mean, and I've talked about this before. For me, is it the same thing that I do with my emotions where fear, there you are. I see we're going to do this together, but you can sit in the backseat. I just can't let you drive. Like, is that what you're doing? Perfect. You're identifying. There you are. We're all friends at this point. But I'm going to choose to let go of being perfect at this. Or I'm going to choose to not avoid this situation or whatever it is. I know I'm going to get restless. So I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to set a timer for an hour and I'm going to get to freaking work. But there you are. There you are. Yes, I see you and I I expect you. Yeah. And I'm not surprised you're here. I don't judge it. I just see you. And when I see you, now my sage is online Mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. But also I can do those mindfulness practices also to really embody more of my sage. Mm, I love it. Okay. So okay, so review is what they are. Okay. So starting um, with the judge and then going to the avoider. The controller, the hyperachiever, hyperrational, hypervigilant, pleaser, restless, stickler, and the victim. Hmm. Okay. Whew, those are... Welcome. Meet them all. <laughs> and, you know, when they say we have these personalities, we do, we will pull up these all 10 of them can come into play at any time. Hmm. But like you said, we have two or three that tend to really create mm-hmm. some challenges for us mm, that are really behind that. the sabotaging of mm, what we want. I love that. And who we want to be. So our try this or not then is going to be just choose two or three that really resonated with you that you that sound familiar. Recognize them. And then in our next episode with Robin, we'll be talking about the sage, the, the power of the sages, which there's five of those, and really going into the kind of the antidotes to what to do and maybe even a little bit deeper into the into the practices what do you call them pq practices yes pq reps 
PQ reps. Oh, I like it. Mm-hmm. So we'll go a little more deep into that as well to help us give us even more tools than just recognizing it. I mean, because I think recognizing being aware is so crucial. And I mean, the mindfulness just techniques I think are fabulous, but we'll go a little deeper in our next one. Robin, I'm, I'm loving, I mean, I could honestly talk all day about these. They're so fascinating to me. So tell us um, if people want more from you or coaching or whatever, what is the best place to find you? Yeah, I would love um, if anyone has like, oh, wow, I can recognize this and I see this and I would like have coaching on it um, because I'm not getting the results I want. That's what my coaching is, is to get you the results you want. So really the best way to get in touch with me is my phone number, 801-529-5885. And you can leave me a voicemail or you can leave me a text and I'll get right back to you. My first session is free because I want you to uh, have a session where you will actually have a tool to go home with as you already have a tool to go home with from just listening to this podcast. So you'll have an idea of if I'm a good fit for you, if you find it of value, so you have nothing to lose if you just give me an hour of your time. So I would, it's my passion. This is my, my favorite thing in the world to do. And so the fun thing about this is we get to look at your saboteurs together and know they aren't you. And we get to intercept those and really pull online the sage because all the answers are within you. Oh, gives me the chills. I love it. Okay, everybody, thank you for being with us here for this conversation. And let's find the magic. And thank you so much, Terlyn, for inviting me. It's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> I'm so happy you were here. So fun. Oh, Robin, I could just... You guys, can I just say something about Robin? So we have met a few times now for different podcast recordings the first time we ever met we didn't even record because we just started talking for so long robin's also the only person i've ever maxed out our recording time with because <laughs> <laughs> we're just kindred oh, spirits oh my gosh so much cool I information but thank you so much i appreciate you mm, i love it okay well thank you thank you Brown cows. <laughs>